As y'all are probably aware, we have Halloween coming up in just a few weeks, so you'll probably see a lot more haunted houses in the coming days and, and horror movies. I'm already seeing more advertisements on the side of the highway for haunted houses and different trailers for horror movies. I, I think this is kind of ironic that, you know, that this is such, that fear is such a big industry because no one actually truly likes being afraid. I mean, not, not real fear. You know what I mean? Like nobody hears they have a terminal illness and says, oh man, I feel so alive. I feel so, you know, jazzed up right now. You know, like there's real fear involved. When there's real fear involved, uh, it's not the same. I think, I think people like getting scared in a controlled environment when there's not a, a real threat. But no one, I think, no one, I, I think, likes being at the mercy of, an, of actual imminent danger with no control over it. I, anything could happen. No one likes that experience. And so we need to kind of acknowledge that when we talk about Jonah going to Nineveh because he's not really carrying a ghost story with him. He's not really, you know, carrying this haunted house experience into Nineveh saying, you know, come everyone and check this out. He's carrying imminent danger, an actual threat of God. So I, I, we're, we've been moving through this series disrupted, talking about things God teaches us as we are sent to carry his word and as we receive his word, things God teaches us about being sent. And usually that involves some kind of disruption. He has to disrupt things like our comfort and our safety and our understanding. He has to disrupt those things and rebuild us to some degree so we can carry his word forward. So we're going to continue with Jonah 3 verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This is right after he has been vomited up by the fish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is the word of the Lord. There's a miracle in here that I see. And that is that Nineveh turned to God. It says they believed God. They repented. They put on sackcloth. They cried out and believed God. And the miracle is that at least according to what is recorded here, there's nothing said about God. It just says 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Okay? Now, I would assume Jonah probably said some things about God, but the heart of his message as it's communicated here was not Yahweh, the covenantal savior of Israel. The heart of his message was, y'all better get ready because something's coming for you. 
No repentance, no chance to turn things around, no chance for salvation. It's just y'all don't even know what's ahead. Okay? So there is a, um, a fear-based message being communicated here. So the reason I said that it's a miracle that God, uh, that Nineveh turned to God, believed God, the reason I said that's a miracle is because fear, the, the subject of Jonah's message, fear, cannot drive repentance. Fear does not turn things toward the subject of that fear, okay? Or the object of that fear. Fear only turns away. When you experience a threat, you have fight or flight or surrender, but you don't just hug it until it's your friend. You know what I mean? Like when someone breaks into your house, you can't, you don't just go up and, you know, shake hands and let's, let's get together sometime. We'll talk about this over a cup of coffee. Like there is, there is fear that turns away from that thing. At first glance, if this is all you know about God, from the first word of this story up to the present moment, if this is all you know about God and this is all you've heard, it seems like a very different story. Because so far in this story, it appears that God only takes hostages. He took Jonah hostage with this storm, with a fish. He wanted Jonah to do something Jonah would not and it seems like God takes him hostage until he agrees, until he cries uncle. And then you have Nineveh, where he gives them an ultimatum. You better do what I say or else. In fact, there wasn't even a do what I say according to this message of Jonah. It just says, this is manipulating someone's behavior by presenting a potential worse alternative. It's worse than a threat. This is abuse. This is using power to manipulate someone weaker than you. I am good. I will save you. But save from what? The problem that I create for you. This is Stockholm Syndrome. This is not love. I am, I am the captor, but I will make you believe, you, the captive, believe that I am good. This is, in the midst of this, when we examine how we are sent, we need to ask ourselves, what is our witness? Because it can very subtly be fear-based if we're not careful. It can very subtly become, oh, you have cancer. Well, God will cure it if you have more faith. Right? This is fear-based. You do this or else. Or, oh, you're experiencing some financial hardship. Well, God will bless you if you give more, if you're more generous. This is fear-based. You do this or else. In the, case of, um, in the case of Jonah, it's you better stop doing this or else, right? You better stop acting a fool Nineveh or else. 
I want to be clear before we get a more complete picture of God. Remember, this is all Nineveh has seen of God up to this point. This is the message they have. Jonah is the picture of God, essentially, right? So I want to be clear. Turning away from sin is not the same thing as turning toward God, okay? If fear makes you turn away from that thing, that is not the same thing as turning toward God, okay? I'm going to stop doing whatever or I'm going to start doing whatever is not the same thing as embracing God in a, in a loving relationship as, as he presents himself as a loving God. Fear only leaves our relationships incomplete. Nineveh surrendered to God. But see, I, I think it, it's strange When it says the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the personal name of God that he gave to Israel to cry out for help and deliverance, it says Yahweh gave Jonah a message to arise and go to Nineveh. But it says that Nineveh believed God. It doesn't mention the name Yahweh. It doesn't mention a personal name. This, this fear-based message leaves this relationship incomplete. Nineveh surrenders, but they don't cry out to Yahweh for deliverance. They don't know him as their covenantal God. This fear just becomes a bucket of ice water that stops them dead in their tracks. I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to look around. I need to see the danger involved. Right? It stops what we're doing, but it doesn't turn us toward God. It only turns us away from what's bad. Only love can turn us toward something. Only love can beckon us forth. And the problem is that love cannot coexist with fear. Love cannot coexist with fear. Fear is a crucial aspect of, of the witness of God. I mean, we have to know that there is something bad that can come if, we, if, if the circumstances don't change, right? This is a crucial aspect. This is the law, right? This is how God is. This is how we behave as the people of God. This is how we don't behave as the people of God. But left to itself, the law is not a complete picture of our relationship with God. It only stops what we're doing uh, or stops what we're not doing, right? Love, perfect love, cannot coexist with fear. First John says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, the law, right? And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. God in himself gives us a complete picture of our relationship with his love. We reciprocate, we model, we return, but he gives us his love first. See, Nineveh repented in hope of God's kindness. Right later on, the, the, the king of Nineveh says, we'll, we'll hear next week, the king of Nineveh says, who knows? Maybe we can repent and God will relent from this disaster. Maybe if we do this, God will stop. Who knows? 
If we act this way, maybe God will show us kindness. But that's backwards. That's a backwards, incomplete picture of our relationship with God. Because what does Romans say? The the kindness of God drives us to repentance. The kindness of God drives us to repentance. Fear does not drive repentance. And repentance does not drive God's kindness. This is backwards. God's love drives our kindness. God's love for us drives his kindness to us and lets us know that we can repent. We can turn to him. We can fall on him because we know he is kind. We know he is love. We need that perfect love. We need his perfect love to disrupt our fear. The question is, how do you know when you have it? How do you know when you were loved perfectly? Because if you're afraid, you're probably not feeling the love. Your focus is on the threat. How do you know that you are perfectly loved even when you don't feel it or even when everything is against you? How do you know? Back up a little bit. John leads with this. We kind of inverted the message, but John leads with this. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Here it is. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world this is how we have confidence in the midst of fear and what do we have more to fear than the judgment of God this is how we have confidence this is how we stand up because he has sent Christ to show us what love is Jonah and Nineveh are not hostages. Okay? So how we are not hostages. How was the storm and the fish and the ultimatum, how are these things loving? See, we only had the story up to that point. So we could say, okay, well, it looks like a hostage situation, but we're missing all of the pretext. We're missing the promises of God from eternity. We miss the fact that, oh yeah, we were the ones that brought this trouble on ourselves. Right? We didn't hear that part. That was, that was way back. That was Genesis. That was Adam and Eve. We brought this trouble on ourselves. God, in a benevolent, insane act of love, created this world and all the potential problems therein. We bring this trouble on ourselves through sin, and then what does God do? He draws us back with mercy and grace, and he says, Jonah, you're not understanding the problem. It's not about you, and it's not just about Israel. This is for the world. So go and tell Nineveh that they're messing up and that I love them. It's not a hostage situation. This is a reflection. This is an act of grace that Jonah would be sent there. The ultimatum of, of God turn is not, is not an or else. It's a natural consequence of sin. This is a natural consequence of a broken world against a holy and just judge. The natural consequence would be destruction. It's not, 
It's not an or else situation. It is this is what lies ahead. Turn and be saved. So God shows nothing but concern for Nineveh. Nothing but concern for Jonah. This is our witness. It's not a fear-based message. It's loving as God has loved us. So we'll go to a classic message. Because I think sometimes it just washes over us and we, if we've been in the church a long time, we don't even realize what it's saying. For God so loved the world, or rather, God loved the world in this way. God loved the world thusly, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is how we know we are loved in the midst of fear. The cross was the disruption of God for our fear. This is how God disrupts our fear, through the cross of Jesus Christ. We had the full cup of God's wrath waiting for us. And rather, Christ drank it to the dregs. He consumed death itself, all of it. And for us, he just poured out life from the empty tomb. He poured out life from his life. He poured out victory from his victory. So Jonah, the first Jonah, came with a message of condemnation. He came with this message of condemnation, this or else, a fear-based message. But essentially, he was kind of like, Good luck with that. I'm going to go sit on this hilltop and wait to see what happens. Christ actually came in power to rescue. So we can now, those, those fears that he conquered, the condemnation, anything in this life that could possibly be facing us, anything, any source of fear, we can use this fear that he conquered to proclaim his glory. Okay? Can you put the, the title slide real quick? Um, does anyone else, is this the weirdest picture of Jonah that anyone else has ever seen? That this, every picture that, of Jonah that I have seen is Jonah getting swallowed by a fish or Jonah getting vomited up by a fish. It's this, it's this big thing about to consume him or this big thing that had just consumed him. This is weird. This is on the stained glass in uh, uh, Lincoln College Chapel, I believe. It's in Oxford. I love it. I love it. Here we have this awful, fearsome experience that Jonah faced. It's part of his story. It's part of God's story. Here's this awful, fearsome experience at his feet following him around like, like a pet. It's like he's with him wherever he goes. It's just, it's just, just sitting there with him. This is not something to be feared anymore. This is something that Jonah can point to in reference and say, look what God did. This is how what we had to fear serves our message 
of God. This serves how we convey the gospel. It doesn't eclipse how we convey the gospel. God works something incredible for someone else through Jonah's experience. And you may have suffered something horrific, maybe even in the church, God forbid. A break with community, um, power abuse, sexual abuse. You may have suffered something terrible at the hands of, of the church or anyone else. And if you haven't, just stick around. If you have not experienced terrible things at the hands of the people of God, just stick around. You will. It's inevitable. This is a body of sinners, and that does not excuse the terrible things we do by any stretch. It just says that God is greater. It does not change the gospel or its effectiveness. Our denomination, ironically, was actually born out of a struggle with what to do in the event of sexual abuse. You had some immigrants coming from Germany to plant a church in the Midwest, and the pastor that was leading them um, sexually abused a host of the women that were with them. He got caught. They cast him out of their community. They sent him across uh, a river, and then they were left with this. They were left with this struggle. Half of them said, our worst fears have come true. We, we have no pastor to lead us. We have no, we're not a church. We're not a church. We have no reason to be here. What, what do we do? We just, we, we can either go about our lives and try to build this new, this new life and try to assimilate with whatever uh, culture is nearest to us, uh, or we can go back to Germany. That was one camp. And the other one, uh, led by a man named C.F.W. Walther, a famously ugly German man, um, said, no, th- this doesn't change anything. What this man did, the terrible things that this man did does not change anything. It doesn't change who we are in Christ. It doesn't change the message we have. We are valid. Our message is valid. Our identity is valid because of the word that we carry, because of what Christ did, not because of what we do or because, or because we have a pastor. It's the word that validates our presence in this place and our ministry. The word is what takes our fears captive. It's what makes our fears subject to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what gives us life. It's what gives us renewed purpose. It's what gives us effectiveness. Whatever it is that God has brought you through, he uses to serve those he brought you to. Whatever God has brought you through, he uses to serve those he brought you to, or he brings you to. You have this You have this incredible testimony that he is taken captive by Christ to serve those that he has given you to serve. 
And the victor, Jesus' victory over death serves us. He serves others through us by allowing us to share that victory in the gospel. We're going to take, uh, in a moment, we're going to pray. First, I, I, I want to say a, a brief word just because of all the things that have been going on um, in the past couple of weeks, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum or whatever you think of the unfolding events of uh, Judge Kavanaugh's or Justice Kavanaugh's admission into his office, um, it doesn't change the fact. There, there, are, there are some experiencing a travesty of justice and there are some experiencing a triumph of justice, okay? It doesn't matter what you perceive about that particular event in this moment, right? We can discuss that later if you'd like. In this moment, what is real is that there are women who themselves feel marginalized and what they've experienced or what their loved ones have experienced, what their friends have experienced, what their children have experienced, what their parents have experienced. There are some who feel marginalized by that, and that's what we speak to. We speak to the fact that we are a church who seeks to uphold justice and restoration and purity and healing, and that we are for the downtrodden. This is the nature of Christ. This is the nature of the gospel. It transcends politics. It transcends miscarriages of justice. It transcends whatever we think justice is in this life. The justice of God always, always and forever heals always, and it always gives him glory. So if you feel like you are experiencing that fear and you are experiencing that marginalization, like you need to sit down for a while because no one will hear you. If you knew what you were going to, if you had a place to say something, you don't know what you would say. If you feel like you are voiceless right now, that's what this community and this word this God does. It restores the downtrodden. And it restores, he restores the victimized. So if you ever want to talk, to unpack, um, I, this God, this community are for you. Okay, we're a family. All right, even when we disagree, we are a family. Okay, so let's behave that way. And let's approach our, um, our Heavenly Father in prayer now.